Welcome to the Executive Function Podcast, where we make the invisible keys to success easy for you to teach your child. We'll go beyond theory to proven action, helping you create peace and independence at home and at school with your host, educational author, award-winning teacher, and celebrated learning coach, Sarah Kesti. Hey, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here. Um, Today, we're exploring what does it mean to be successful as a parent, as a teacher, to your child. We're going to explore what true success means and why you're probably getting in your own way and your child's way too. So I was recently coaching a parent and her seventh grade son, and the homework routine was so frustrating for both of them. I know you're probably like, uh, me too. And to be honest, even as a teacher, the homework routine is very frustrating sometimes. So um, listen to this because it's very similar to, I'm sure, what you go through. So every night, the mom and son would argue, especially about the math homework that was assigned every night and then collected on Friday. And the thing was, the other classes that gave him homework once in a while, he'd be willing to do. But the every night math homework was just something that they struggled with. It was really frustrating to the mom because she thought, well, hey, wait a minute. You get this assignment every night. Like, it's not a surprise. It should just be a routine. And she was confused that her son was having an easier time with the once in a while assignments. That is until we thought about the brain. So new and novel things alert the brain and give it a cocktail of hormones that I like to call focus juice. So it's a bunch of hormones that um, your brain in evolutionary terms would produce when you needed to focus on something to keep yourself safe. So if you hear a rustling in the bushes, your brain needs to give you that juice so that you can look over and see what it is and then get your muscles ready to move if you need to or your brain ready to make a quick decision. So in terms of um, scientific brain information, this made sense that her child had enough focus juice to be able to um, initiate and sustain his attention for the once in a while assignments. But that boring math oh man, it's every night, that wasn't giving him the burst that he needed. So they were also developing a pattern. So two nights a week, they'd argue and avoid the homework. And then on Thursday night, mom would bail the son out with too much help. So she'd sit there and kind of walk him through and push him through and pull him through. And they were struggling between too much and too little help. Mom didn't want her child to fail, but she also didn't want him to be dependent on her. So she was oscillating between the two. Does that sound familiar? I think when we're well-intended helping adults, we see only the two options. We see help and potentially create dependence or not help. And somehow our kids will just figure it all out. But there is a third option. Strategize the struggle. So if you can find your child's weak spots and strategize ways to support or augment, that is the way to success. So today I want to teach you that success means knowing your areas of need and getting and using help. It doesn't mean you never need help. I think a lot of our frustrations with our loved ones with executive function deficits come from being unsure about how much help to give. 
We go between feeling bad that they struggle, so we do things for them, and feeling like they just should be independent, so we give no help at all, but we maybe yell or nag or resent. (laughs) Often we're focused on the task, but not the process. So in terms of this, our son is not doing his math homework, but and that's funny, I said our son, it's my client's son, but you get the idea. Um, Her son isn't doing his math homework and she's frustrated with like the potential of losing points in math and that's the task. But the process is how do you get beyond the boring tasks that are just part of life? And so when you hyper-focus on the task, you kind of miss an opportunity to help in bigger ways, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So another example would be... um, I've had a client who wanted her daughter to feed the dogs every day at the same time. And if she was struggling, it wasn't because feeding the dogs was a hard process. It was because remembering, initiating, executing, finishing the job when you're distractible, all of those things, the process was difficult. Not the task of feeding the dogs, that was fine. So, and I can bet that if feeding the dogs every day at the same time is a challenge, there are probably other parallel challenges that are also holding um, your child back as well. So if we focus on supporting the process, like getting over difficult, I'm sorry, boring things or um, moving past when things are like difficult to remember, all of those things, we can really help improve lots of challenging spots for our kids. So before we move on, we need to make an agreement. You ready? Stop shooting all over the place. No, I did not say a potty word, but here's the deal. I shouldn't have to. You should be able to. Just stop the should. And here's why. When challenges are physical, like a mobility issue, we don't should, we strategize. No one berates a child for not being able to walk when he or she has a disability that we can see. Yet this happens a lot to kids with executive function challenges because we can't physically see their brain differences. So one way around this is, and I legitimately use this all the time, is when you hear yourself say or think should, try picturing the challenge in terms of a brain difference. So literally make a mental movie of a brain in your own brain that shows that it's a physical difference. And I think just that approaching from that perspective will really shift things. And I imagine your focus will be on support, not blame or resentment if you can get in that space. There's also a really great article that I will link in the show notes about, um, they call it like ADHD prosthetics. And it's the same idea. You know, you don't like challenge someone who needs glasses not to need the glasses. Just stop needing them. You know, they just get the glasses. It's what they need. So in terms of our executive function help, it's a lot grayer of an area for sure, which makes our detective work very tricky. But also kind of exciting and very, very rewarding. And that's why I started this whole deal. So back to my recent coaching with the mom and son, we found them both in deep should. (laughs) So mom was stuck on, you should do your math homework every night. 
and the son was struggling with focus on a mundane task, and he knew if she if he waited her out, she would bail him out. So it was kind of a rewarding pattern for him. Just deal with the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday arguing and all that. Get through that, and then Thursday, boom, you get your math homework done because mom does most of it. So they needed to ditch this pattern and strategize the struggle. Instead of the dance between too much and too little help, we took a closer look at which executive function skills were missing. In this case, her son was having a hard time with initiation, attention, self-regulation, and a lot of his struggles were related to those brain focus juices we talked about. So our strategy from looking at the patterns that he was displaying was to unboring his math homework. So what that meant was we picked a pre-agreed reward. um, And obviously we didn't just think like, oh, we'll buy him Legos, you know, like from the outside. And I know well-intended adults do this sometimes. We think, oh, I'll just reward the student with something. And then we forget that, duh, we can ask the student what they want to work for. Half the time, that's, you know, such a transition for them anyway. Like, oh, I can get a reward. Well, of course, you know, we get paychecks. You should get paid for your efforts as well. So, um, but make sure you check in with your child if you're deciding on doing a reward for, you know, so many minutes on task or completing the math homework by a certain time. Um, You can kind of choose the metric of how to earn the reward, but make sure that the reward itself is something that your child really wants, does not have that constant access to. Like if you guys have dessert every day and you're like, oh, you can have extra dessert. uh, That's not going to be as powerful as like, hey, you can have two dollars to GameStop every week or something like that. That isn't necessarily a um Boy, $2 is pretty cheap, huh? I don't know. What's the going rate? But you get the idea. Something that's not very um, common in their lives is going to have a lot more focus juice. Remember, new and novel. So keep that in mind when you're choosing a reward. So another way we unboringed the math homework was we made a new study space. So part of the challenge was there were a lot of distractions and fun available for her son during the math homework. So again, your brain saying, hey, wait a minute, this stuff is way more easy to focus on. I'm going to walk away. Or why does my sister get to play games? Because she's already done with her homework, but she's only in second grade. She doesn't have that much homework. Maybe it's more exciting to argue that point than it is to actually do my homework. So developing a new study space, um, on the one hand, kind of reduced the distractions, but at the same time, it also was kind of exciting because he got to pick out Um, some new pens. And I know it sounds so silly, but honestly, new and novel, it makes it kind of feel fresh, like a fresh start and um, gives you more focus juice. So we got to decorate a little bit of a space. I mean, how much is a seventh grade boy going to decorate? But you get the idea. Um, We also added some competition. So I even use a strategy for myself because I absolutely capital H hate doing dishes. And I use a strategy depending on how big the pile is. I know I'm shaming myself. Um, I will turn on a timer and see if I can beat the timer. And I don't even give myself anything for it. I mean, maybe if I feel like it, but normally it's just kind of rewarding enough to have a competition with my own cell phone timer, which seems so silly, but we worked that out with, um, 
her son as well, like beat the clock. And that was kind of fun for him. So that was a great strategy to unboring his task. And again, remember, we're strategizing the struggle because this is an example of instead of focusing on the task, focusing on the process. So all of the strategies that we came up with, yes, they worked for completing his math homework. But really what we were mindfully teaching was how to unboring something that you have to get done so that your brain can help you get through it. So I don't want to emphasize too much on, oh, these are math homework strategies. Nope. These are initiation strategies. They are focused attention strategies. They are strategies to help get through those mundane um, parts of life that honestly increase as we become adults. So if you think about it, there are so many gifts built into this process for her son that aren't just related to the so many homework points that he gets. So um, we unboring the task. We used a pre-agreed award. We made a new study space. We added competition. And then once in a while when he was struggling, I trained his mom to be a body double. And that sounds a little creepy, but what that means is she would just sit next to him and work at the same time. And they would hold each other accountable. They wouldn't talk. They would just sit and work. And she actually appreciated the focus time too. But um, sometimes, and we'll talk more about body double Addison's strategy later, but sometimes just having that established space with someone who treats you with respect and who knows that you have a difficult time focusing, but will just be there working at the same time really impacts, um, kind of sets up a good scene for focus time. So she would be a body double and they also tried a serious hour in the family. So even if the daughter was done with her homework, she was not um, messing around near her brother so that it limited the um, the resentment that he had. And it also limited the distractions. So that was another helpful piece. And then um, we agreed that we would celebrate progress, but we would also not bail him out. So on Thursdays, as much as it killed us to think about, oh man, he's not going to get his homework points. We had to let that logical consequence happen at school. And, um, you know, the couple of times that he didn't get all of it done, we had talked to his teacher in advance and she was able to say, hey, you didn't, you know, fully get this done. Here's the points you have. And so she kind of closed the feedback loop for him instead of having him be victimized by, oh, I'm failing math. She was able to verbalize it to him in a way that um, held him accountable gently so that he could understand, oh, well, when I choose not to do my homework, this is what happens. Um, and I know I should be careful saying choose not to because, again, you know, we don't want to berate our kids. But when he um, wasn't able to get his homework done, that's what happened. So we had to step out of that bailout because that was really reinforcing for him. And the first couple times when he tried to wait out the bailout um, and we didn't bail him out, it was a little bit painful. But sometimes that if if we use pain in the right way to close the feedback loop and make sure that our kids understand that they have power over their lives and their choices come with good or bad consequences, um, that really helps empower them to feel less like victims. So I know I will definitely talk more about that because that's been a huge shift in my teaching that's made a big, big difference. I even have students come back um, as high schoolers and say, like, man, this this is the one thing that I remember from your class. Um, 
which one thing, come on kids, you got to come back with more. No, <laughs> just kidding. That makes me happy. All right. So these strategies that unboringed the task worked because they didn't isolate her son. So they didn't make him um, be weird. Like, oh, you have to wear these weird headphones or something that we thought of way outside of his sphere. So involving him in the solution helped make sure that they were strategies that he'd be willing to use um, now and maybe in the future when we help him generalize them. They also created a sustainable routine. So it was just an hour. It was something that the whole family could agree to. It wasn't something that was so special that if mom was sick, it just wouldn't happen, you know. Um, it, and it didn't depend on just one person. It was the right level of commitment for everyone. So I want to remind you at this point that when you strategize the struggle, you build habits of success. No one is independent and perfect so as to never need help. Millionaires need mechanics. Chefs need kitchen support. Childhood is the only time that we're expected to be good at everything, even with executive function deficits. I don't think this is possible, and I think it's unfair. So when you are strategizing the struggle this week, here are a couple things you can remember, and you can find these as a printable reminder on sarahkesty.com forward slash episode three. So the first one, make the solution sustainable. Number two, involve your child. Number three, don't isolate your child in an attempt to help. Number four, plan to automate or replace the human help. So have a plan to secure consistency that's not too reliant on any one person. And number five, think backwards from your should. So when you feel like, oh, I just stepped in my should, <laughs> um, think about what skills or process could be missing that's sustaining that should because like we talked about with the example of feeding the dog or even this math homework example probably there are parallel tasks that are just as difficult that if you address that should area that area of weakness you're going to be able to give bigger gifts in the future in terms of what your child can do so grab your lovely child it's time for this week's pep talk Hey kid, we all need help sometimes. It's okay to need help. Childhood is the only time that you're expected to be good at everything. Do you think your parents remember all the algebra equations and can run a 10 minute mile and can write a four page essay on literature? Not to diss your parents, but you get the idea. When you're in school, we're trying to cram everything into your brain. We want to prepare you for anything in the future, and that's a good thing. But what if your brain isn't ready, or you need more time, or maybe you need a different way of explaining your learning? Needing help doesn't mean that you're dumb or you're failing. Lots of famous people have needed help over the years. If you worry about others making fun of you when you get help, I have two things to say. Number one, most people don't notice much more than themselves. And we're all worried about what others think. And number two, you can get yourself and your brain ready with comebacks, like things to say to people if they make fun of you. And it's a great way to be ready to shut it down if it ever happens so that 
um, you don't have a big emotional reaction because if you do, probably the people are going to keep making fun of you. But if you're just so chill and you're like, mm, I got you, then the person's going to leave you alone in the future because it's just not fun to make fun of you. So here's some ideas. I had a young lady, a seventh grade girl, who was making fun of a fifth grade boy because he didn't know his times table. And he looked right at her and said, you know what? Everyone is something hard for them. Mine's math. What's yours? And he just stared at her. And it was such a quick response that the girl, the seventh grade girl just stopped. She just shut up and she was like, oh, he's not fun to make fun of. And she was over it. It happened once. And then I got to talk to her privately about why that wasn't okay. But boy, did his response help. So again, if you have something that you want to use in class, like you want to dictate your work or you need extra time or something like that, maybe you can have a response ready for kids just in case somebody says something snotty to you. And then you can shut it down and move on because everyone truly does need help sometimes. And I can bet even the kid that might say something to you is probably jealous that you're brave enough to use some help. This week, your grown-up is going to be teaming up with you to make sure they're helping you at just the right level. I think you'll have a great time with this week's challenge. Talk to you soon, my dear. Thank you for listening to the Executive Function Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over to sarahkesty.com where you'll find more resources and chances to connect with others. And please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more families. 